Toronto! Who knows what's up? Is this fake sire? Is this this Hades costume? Is the stinkiest costume on this brand? <laughs> Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done. Take a puff. Do you fear? Bing Bong is a sus individual. Do the perfect cast. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. No, I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang at patreon.com slash mousemadness. Kyle, um, we're back and we're back talking music, but not in the way that we normally talk about music. No, we're usually talking about the people behind the songs of our favorite Disney movies, people behind the songs of our favorite Disney pop covers. But here we are talking about the Disney acts themselves, the performers that are performing the songs that we know and love in the films that we enjoy. And last week was super fun because we saw a ton of the lower seeds actually make it through into the Elite Eight. It wasn't something like the one through eight. We have a ton of great musical acts to talk about this time around still. And I'm excited because we didn't get to hear a lot from last time, but we're going to hear a lot from this time around. It's our guest host, Raymond. Raymond, welcome back to the show. Hey, y'all. Pleasure to be back. I'm ready to fight for their fight, for, fight to the death for some of these bands. Let me tell you. E- I was going to say, like, basically, you agreed with everything that we did. You had to break one tie last time, but we bas- we took the road that was going to be taken. This time around, there are some matchups that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of talking about them. I'm afraid of trying to choose between them. <laughs> uh, I think you're going to have a lot of work cut out for you. In, in high school, I feel like there was a moment in which we rediscovered a lot of the musical acts from Disney past. Yeah. You and I went to high school together. Yeah. Uh, we were, we, we, were there. We, we would drive around our hometown and just with nowhere to go and just <laughs> listen to music. And very often, a lot of the songs on this list would pop up. So do you think that you became this kind of like Disney musical act music fan more so as you were watching the films or when you rediscovered them when you were older? Um, you know, it was a little bit of both. There was actually a moment, I remember this very vividly, where I rented the Hannah Montana game for the Wii from Blockbuster. Like, this is like very early memories, but I was already too old for this game. Put in the right. I was way too old for a lot of these things I was engaging in. I didn't care. And I still, don't. yeah. But like those kind of things, like that game, you had to like unlock her discography. I got really deep into it, you know? And I was, <laughs> these are episodes that I might have missed when I was younger. But like, you know, you just kind of pick pieces up and you remember things and, oh, you know, I like the sound of this and maybe I'll revisit this album again. 
So it's a little bit of everything. I like to just have a throwback playlist that's mainly Disney, as most people do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk more about these matchups because there is a, a, a song very specifically by one of these artists that quite literally defined our high school existence. Oh. It, it really kicked off everything. I'm excited to talk about that. And we'll dive into <laughs> it when that matchup comes up. I'm very, I'm very stoked. Um, but Chris, let's go ahead. Let's, let's introduce our spoonful of sugars. What are you drinking this time? Um, so I'm, I'm actually not drinking, I'm drinking some water, but I'm crushing some strawberries right Ooh. now. Went, went over to Safeway and brought some, went over to Safeway and bought some overpriced fruit. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, they had a four for $12 sale on these big fruit bowls. So I bought five <laughs> mathematically. That doesn't make sense, but I was <laughs> like, I, I put four in the cart and I was like, I'll just throw one more in there. It's all good. Um, but yay, y'all, this is your reminder. If you haven't eaten any fruits and vegetables today, go out there and do it. it Yeah. It's good for your tummy. Okay. I don't care about to make you lose weight because you can't. It's good for your tummy. Okay. (laughs) It's good for everything. So go ahead and do it. Uh, Kyle, what do you got? Uh, definitely not fruits or vegetables, but I do have water. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm double fisting over here. I got my hydro flask full of water, but I also have a beer. And I don't know that I've ever introduced this beer on this podcast before, but it's kind of a staple at the local Trader Joe's by my house. <clears throat> this is by Breakside Brewing, which is out of I think Portland. Yep, Portland, Oregon. Um, it's called the Wanderlust IPA. Yeah. Now I'm I'm starting to to get away from the IPA game. I'm starting to see, I'm seeing myself veering further towards the pale ale game. Um, IPAs these days, not resting well in the old stomach. No, they're not, they're not doing that fruits and vegetables. They're not doing me too well. But what I will around with is like a West coast IPA or a tropical IPA, because those tend to be a little bit more juice forward, a little bit less on the, the, um, hoppy side a little bit less on the acidic side and a little easier to drink and this is one of those it's not a west coast ipa but and they don't call themselves tropical but they call themselves or they describe this beer as being um tropical nuanced north of refreshing and it's true this tastes it's very juicy it does not do what ipas do to my stomach these days um, and I, I really enjoy it. So if you're looking for a four pack of, you know, higher alcohol percentage, but a juicier flow sort of beer, this Wanderlust from Breakside is uh, is pretty tasty. It has a very pretentious like drawing of a wolf on it. I don't really <laughs> like the can art, um, but it's a good beer. Raymond, what you got over there? Uh, wait, what percentage was that? This is 6.2. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I finished mine from earlier, so I'm sticking to water, but I'm on the fruit game also. So I just went to... Uh, get some groceries from hmart which i already talked about but i just grabbed the grapes right yeah i noticed that on the package it said uh cotton candy grapes yep i was like that's cute you know what a cute little brand name nope that is Those the flavor of these grapes i'm actually yep. like, i feel like i'm at willy wonka's little factory <laughs> this is really crazy to me i've never had these like I'm, I'm very happy with my choices yeah that's cotton candy grapes are something that i feel like have entered my world within the last like six to eight months. 
They've I've known that they've existed, but I never really had them. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing them kind of everywhere with people talking about them. And I was like, what is what is this revolution that's happening with the cotton candy grapes? <laughs> Are they like grown that way? Are they infused? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, when I looked it up right now, I said uh, cotton candy grapes near me as like the highest result. I, like, I know they're on the cotton candy grape. All right, let's let's talk about where we ended up and how we got there. Uh, last week, we introduced the demographic that chose the sixteen on-screen musical acts, and they were people leaving the Country Bear Jamboree at the Magic Kingdom in shock, horror, confusion. Just they they didn't look right coming off this attraction, which is a damn shame that they voted in the Country Bears movie to this bracket. I feel like they they did that in spite of the attraction. They did that to troll us who are trying trolling. to do an actual yeah. job. Mm-hmm, for Four sure. Thousand percent. So those folks elected 16 great musical acts. And last time we talked about them, Chris and I basically agreed all the way around except for one matchup. Raymond gave us his thoughts, which are extremely valid. And I'm excited to talk about this Elite Eight. Looks a little bit like this. It's the number one Hannah Montana from the Hannah Montana series on Disney Channel, Hannah Montana movie versus the nine, number nine seed, Cheetah Girls, from all three of their Cheetah Girls movies. Down the brackets, the number 13, Pink Slip, from Freaky Friday versus the number 12, Lemonade Mouth, from the movie of the same exact name. Across the brackets, number two, Scat Cat and the Alley Cats from the Aristocats film versus the number seven, the Dorothea Williams Quartet from Soul. And then rounding out this Elite Eight, it's the number three power line from the Goofy movie versus the number six, Four Town from Turning Red. Chris, I let off last time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this incredible matchup of the number one Hannah Montana versus the number nine Cheetah Girls. So we just kind of like naturally have ended up with these like quadrants on this bracket yes. where like upper left is like Hannah Montana cheetah girls. That's the battle of the like real life fictional transcenders. Then the yep. bottom left, you've got pink slip and lemonade mouth. Your, your garage bands upper <laughs> right. We've got scat cat and Dorothy Williams. That's your jazz, jazz. quadrant. <laughs> and then bottom right, we've got power line and Fortown. Those are your boy bands. So incredible. This is, this Crazy. is going to be a really great, uh, final four, once we get there, but but we've got a pretty tricky round of eight before we do. Hannah Montana. So when I think about Hannah Montana, like obviously I never really watched the show. Like I, I, I didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, but my knowledge of the sh- show is, is like kind of conceptual. It's just like, I guess the premise that, that <laughs> there's a, there's a, a, a young girl named Miley and is basically like Spider-Man Far From Home, where like right. uh, a, a girl is a secret celebrity. She doesn't want anyone to know. And she, the, the show is her dealing with this dual identity thing, yep. where she's trying to be a, a pop star, but she also is trying to be a kid at the same time. Uh, and comedy ensues. Of course. So... I, I really like that as a as a concept. As Spider-Man Far From Home is I think I think it's at my second second on my MCU rankings. Um just because I, I kind of like that idea of 
you know, struggling with identity, trying yeah. to be something, two things at the same time, whether that's two, you know, I, I myself would like to be two things at the same time, but also like society expects me to be this way at this time and, and this way at this time. Um, I think it's kind of like a cool exploration. Totally. Uh, so I like that about uh, Hannah Montana. It's it, it, at the end of the day, it is like a, a children's sitcom um, where a lot of these kind of more complex themes aren't really addressed directly, at least not to my knowledge with the Hannah Montana that I personally have watched um, of the episodes I've seen. Most of this kind of balancing act is done for comedy's sake uh, right. where it's like, Oh, Miley uh, has a best friend named Mitchell Musso and Mitchell <laughs> Musso has a crush on Hannah Montana, but he doesn't, she doesn't want to be like rude to him as Hannah Montana, but doesn't want to be nice to him as Hannah Montana because she's Hannah Montana. So then she has, it's like, yeah, co- it's comedy, you know? And so right. like, maybe there's like a small moral at the end of the episode, but um, for the most part, it doesn't really dig into these sort of like uh, identity themes that I think it, it maybe could and, or maybe hints at, I don't know. As far as a musical act, I, I've never seen the Hanna Hanna. I've never seen the Hannah Montana movie. I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, so I don't really know what's in there. Sorry, that's what you're missing. Like, that's like the drama where it's actually like the real deal of this dual personality. That's like when it actually okay. becomes like, wait, this isn't fun anymore, you know? Um, so like m- with my rudimentary knowledge of the of the series, basically I know that they kind of sometimes show like a little snippet of a Hannah Montana performance uh, coming into or out of commercial breaks. Uh, and it's just sort of like my Miley Cyrus uh, generic pop. Oh, Cheetah Girls. Cheetah Girls, where to begin? So we talked about the, the Cheetah Girls in our best decoms bracket. Uh, I don't think we really touched on the sequels no multiple are there multiple sequels oh yeah there's two of them there are two okay it it, it it feels like they're they're very similar cheetah girls and hannah montana but i think it's sort of like apples and oranges just because hannah montana is like a solo act and yeah. the cheetah girls is like a band and so when the cheetah girls are depicted in, in their movies and stuff so much of the time you get with the cheetah girls is dedicated to the interband dynamics. Right. Uh, and that's really something that makes the first Cheetah Girls movie so good. Yeah. This is a, a band that is originates in Manhattan, New York City, a place that is so diverse. Uh, and there are so many people from so many backgrounds with so many goals and dreams uh, and life situations all interacting with one another all day, every day. And so the Cheetah Girls are a slice of that. Uh, there's one of them that is like super rich and there's one of them that has, you know, a, a bad relationship with their parents. And so I think when you're thinking about a band and a bunch of people coming together from different backgrounds for a greater cause, that cause being music, performance, uh, fulfilling like an inner desire to create or say something. I think Cheetah Girls does a really good job of like explicitly depicting that. 
Yeah, I agree. The Cheetah Girls do have like a commercial aspect to them. These are like pop stars. In the first movie, they go to like the record studio and they kind of like, uh, you know, are maybe going to have a record deal and they get put in these masks and it's, they do this song that's super cringy and they decide, I think they decide to like not go with the label or the label doesn't sign them or something. Is that right? I don't remember, honestly, the premise of that first film. No, no, yeah, they were like, we can't change who we are as people, so just get a record deal. All I remember is that right. they save a dog at the end with the power of music. Period. That's what I remember, too. <laughs> and those uh, gorgeous outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they prove that it's not about money or fame. Right. It's about sisterhood. Period. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess um, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge of either of these artists or stories or characters like off the top of my head i think i would probably go with cheetah girls um just because again i think i really like the the depiction of the of the band dynamics and the personalities being explored a little bit more um but if you have anything to to rebuttal if i'm speaking ignorantly please please holler but i'm going with cheetah girls because it's all i can do Hannah Montana's show was definitely more focused on her trying to balance that double life. It wasn't so much like now she's performing. You're right. It was more so like she's coming off of performance and turning back into Miley and having to keep Hannah more of a secret from her personal life than she is flaunting as Hannah. But there's still some great Hannah moments in it. Um, I haven't watched the show, but in research for this, I watched a lot of clips because I wanted to see like Hannah Montana performances from the show so I could get some sort of sense. And they they do a good job of kind of showing that she is the studio artist. She's also this pop sensation that goes on tour. Um, we know her songs, even if you don't know the names of them. Best of Both Worlds, of course. Nobody's Perfect is another big number two. And then like from the Hannah Montana movie, besides something like The Climb, you have Hoedown Throwdown, uh, where she's out there connecting back to her Southern roots. And as Raymond kind of mentioned, realizing that this pop star fandom, uh, pop stardom is not really worth it anymore. She's kind of missing out on life and the things that really make her Miley by being Hannah. Do you, either of you watch the... Um, the Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus best of both worlds concert that went into theaters for a single week. Raymond, you watched that. Did you watch it in theaters or did you rent it afterwards? I, I definitely rented it. Yeah. Okay. This, this film is, it's pretty cool. Do you guys remember when Drake and Lil Wayne went on concert together and it was like a, a Drake versus Wayne, like battle <laughs> competition. Let me tell you, I went to that concert and it was, uh, it reminded me a lot of what the makeup of this is where it's like, it's not really a battle, but it's like a showcase of the best of these two artists. That's exactly what this Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, best of both worlds concert thing was. It was a week long engagement the week of Super Bowl, which is notorious for being bad for movies. And it's still the highest grossing Super Bowl week movie of all time. Wow. It only wow. went for one week and it grossed thirty one million. There's one week. Yeah, they didn't need any more. They got what they needed. They, they, screw the halftime show. <laughs> Go to the movie theaters during halftime and watch Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana on stage. But it wasn't just them. They they toured with Jonas Brothers, which I think is really interesting. It, it's cool. 
it, it's such a cool premise, I think, for a concert series. Interesting that they decided to do a concert film, but then only put it out for one week. Uh, I feel like that should be something that deserves a little bit more, but maybe they got the bang for their buck with putting it into just under a thousand theaters and grossing 31 million. I think they probably are completely happy with that since they made their budget back from concert tickets alone, I'm sure. And so this is just extra money on top by filming it. So good on them. But it's an interesting premise that we get actual Hannah Montana performances on the screen from something that we could have experienced ourselves in person. It's something that none of these other acts really give us. She's obviously extremely successful as a pop artist, Hannah Montana. Miley Cyrus is, of course, a successful pop artist, but Hannah Montana in this universe is. She's going on tour. She's selling out all of these shows. Uh, she wears one of those ear mics that come down to your mouth. When you wear one of those, yeah, you know it's business time. You're not up there just singing. You are performing. And that's super important to me and these musical acts is that you're not just up there with a the guitar doing a great rendition of a song, but you're able to put on a holistic performance no matter where you are. Hannah Montana definitely does that. Yeah, I, I just think that she she's a great on-screen musical act and deservedly so of the number one seed. But she's up against the Cheetah Girls. And something about the Cheetah Girls that Miley doesn't have is this Willingness to change, not because of the pressure of their environment, but because they they want to further their careers. They want they want to advance themselves. They want to try something different. Cheetah Girls too were in Spain. They're performing at a, a, a music festival in Spain, and they're able to genre bend. They're able to put a little bit of a of the Spanish flair into their music. I mean, what was their what was their song? Uh, Cheetahs Amigas. Is the one that is in that film. Friends for Life. Friends for Life. Uh, <laughs> and then the third movie, they're in a Bollywood film. We're in India, baby. Like <laughs> well, three of them are. Three of them are. Yeah, three. Sorry. Three of them are. Raven decided to stay home for that trip. The three to girls. The three to girls. Um, but this it's that international notoriety again. And not only are they taking their act on the road, but they are able to blend their act into their surroundings in a way that isn't necessarily offensive. I think there's a way that you could do it extremely wrong. Hence a a Justin Bieber performing Despacito in live concert and saying words like burrito and Dorito instead of actually performing it, while you have a Cheetah Girls type. You don't know this, Chris? You're giving me a look like you've never heard no, that clip. Yeah, this is news oh, to baby, me. Oh, baby, you gotta look up the There's clip like, of, yeah, Justin, of Justin Bieber performing Despacito live in which he doesn't remember the words of the chorus to Despacito that he sings on the remix and he inserts words like burrito and Dorito into the chorus instead. Oh my God. Yeah, not great. Not not that he was a great person to begin with, but it just kept, you know, whatever. So Cheetah Girls just have this star power that transcends their their town, their genre, their world, the America. They're everywhere. And what I really love about the Cheetah Girls is that they embody that like 90s R&B aesthetic in which they have to have the slide out for every song in which it's like we're all singing the chorus and then here comes Raven. 
And yep. Raven's going to sing to you for a little bit. She's going to slide back out. Here comes Adriana and here's or Dorinda. And she's going to be singing to you for a little bit. And then here comes Chanel. You know, like, I like that that format. I think it's really fun. I think that they put on a great performance. So I had the upset too. I think the number nine Cheetah Girls are going to take down Hannah Montana. Uh, Raymond, you you texted me earlier today that Hannah Montana was was the star in your eyes. And here she goes down to the Cheetah Girls. Did we make the right decision? I want to say yes. I want to say yes. I think that... As far as a, a full catalog, Hannah definitely has that. Yeah. And it will take you there, you know, like Hannah will have you learning dances with her. Like the hoedown throwdown has very much like a, I do, you do type dancing and ice cream freeze, same thing, you know, very E40 of her. And so like, <laughs> I always loved that about Hannah, but I think that the Cheetah Girls just has so much more of an impact just on the world around us that like, I like got invested in like their history. Like there's a reason Raven was not in the third movie. Tell us, hit us with it. She's still not friends with these girls. Oh, she's friends with uh, the blonde one. She's okay with her, but Get like it. there was major beef between like her and the other girls to the point where they were like, "We can't do this any longer." So she like left that group behind. Very heartbreaking. But even with them three, without Raven, like they still released this one song called Fuego, which was so good. And I <laughs> listen to it, and it like samples like a bunch of fun stuff too, and um. I mean, I'm sure you guys know too, but like two of the three of them were from 3LW, which right. is like that 90s, like R&B, like hip hop vibe. And like, I just love their harmonies. I really do. I think that I've revisited the Cheetah Girls a lot more than I would visit Hannah Montana. Sure. Sure. Um, two things before we move on to the next round. Number one, we will talk about our connection to Cheetah Girls when we talk about the Cheetah Girls in the in the next round here because i left that cliffhanger at the end of last episode just remember that we need to bring it up two when you said that call and response type song similar to e40 when i was in high school i i did a a performance with a club that i was a part of and it was all songs that gave you instructions and tell me when to go was the song before Hoedown Throwdown in that Whoa. compilation. Ah, uh, that's pretty crazy. I do remember that performance. I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was something. All right. We'll we'll talk about Cheetah Girls again in a little bit, but let's move on to this next matchup. So number 13, Pink Slip versus number 12, Lemonade Mouth. I talked a lot about Pink Slip last time, so let's talk about Lemonade Mouth a little bit because I think we kind of yeah. breezed over them. Um never saw it. Never saw Lemonade Mouth. Um, still haven't. So in preparation oh for this, yeah. So in preparation for this, what I did was watched all of the YouTube clips of Lemonade Mouth performances, and then like read as much info about the films as I could. And I think that what Chris had said last episode, where it's this kind of like we're forming a band, really resonated with like what I was reading. So from what I understand is that there's this group of kids that meet in detention and the supervisor of detention happens to be like the music teacher. So part of what they're doing is like tidying up the music room. And as they're tidying up, we have a full blown trash in the camp sort of situation where everyone starts doing a little bit of a beat until we have an entire song. And that song is, is it turn up the music? Yeah. Turn up the music. 
Um, which is which reminds me of the song Music and Me from High School Musical 2, where it's kind mm-hmm. of like we're all just we're all bonding over music and coming together around music and nothing really matters. Our outside world, our conflicts don't matter like the music matters. And it's that same level of of cheese. And I like cheese. I love I love these kind of Disney songs that give me a little cheesiness. What I do not necessarily like are songs that give me too much cringiness. And there's a fine line where cheese crosses over into cringe. And my issue with Lemonade Mouth is that they go from cheese to acceptable to cringe extremely quickly in my mind. Hmm. So throughout the film, they they perform in a in a pizza parlor. And that's what Raymond had brought up last time, or maybe uh you did, Chris, but she's so gone, which is an incredible I think it's a very good song. Uh, they perform in this like pizza parlor as like this, you know, this high school band that's putting on a show. Um Determinate, which is the song that puts them on the map, which they perform at this like battle of the bands type situation. In my reading, all of the band members like get hurt or can't perform or like what <laughs> whatever happens. They're just like dropping like flies is essentially what this article read like. Yeah. And the rival bands have to come in and like help support them by playing the the music for them essentially so that our lead could continue on with the song that determinate puts them that determinate like song gets played on the radio at some point or something like that and then they end up at madison square garden at the end of the film yeah, they do <laughs> like, and and here's the issue with like disney wanting to show us that this band made it big by putting it into a real life place is that if you're a sports fan if you're a music fan, if you're a, a performance fan, if you if you know anything about Madison Square Garden, it has a very specific look, very specific. And when you say that they're performing at Madison Square Garden and you put them into a studio in Burbank that does not look like Madison Square Garden, then instantly the credibility is out the, out the window. So not only do they have that going for them at the end of the film, but they're performing the song called Breakthrough which felt like a total departure from the like cheese and daring, even dare I say good songs that you saw in the film to this like radio Disney punch you in the head type song that just to me felt extremely cringy so much. And and the dose of cringe that put it over the top was that redhead dude that spit a rap verse in the middle of it. (laughs) Adam Hicks, let's put some respect on that. (laughs) So like, I like the story of this kind of like ragtag team forming a band out of detention and making it big and, uh, you know, spitting literally in the face of adversity and calling themselves what the bullies want them to be called and proving them wrong and ending up in Madison Square Garden. I love that storyline. The music in the film is is good. I think that they perform these things pretty authentically. And they're up against Pink Slip, who we talked about a lot last time, who feel like the authentic garage band. They feel like the ones that we don't need to see how they formed because we can kind of just infer it. We can kind of infer that they were just like 
besties in middle school who all learned guitar together and decided to form this band, grabbed some fools that knew the bass and drums, and here they are performing at Battles of the Bands in their hometown. They don't necessarily want to make it big. They perform at the House of Blues, which if you grew up in an area around a House of Blues, they host like regular Battle of the Bands for local folks all the time. But that's a big stage, like big acts come through House of Blues. So like this is a very realistic portrayal of what a high school band would achieve, which is playing on a stage like that. And I think their music is great. I love their songs. It's catchy. It's I don't I the last time I said it felt like authentic pop punk I regretted myself immediately because I forgot I was in the presence of the pop punk king uh Mr. Chris Bowersocks over there and I was like oh damn it he's going to he's going to tear that one to shreds but I feel like in my in my mind it is I I like their music a lot their their sound a lot the chemistry vibes they didn't all die halfway through the movie and couldn't perform like it, it's only one of them did kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even then they were able to figure it out. So I just I like Pink Slip a lot more than I like Lemonade Mouth. Maybe that's a bias towards the movie that I've actually seen. But I did watch all of the performances out of Lemonade Mouth. And I still think that Pink Slip did a better job at providing that garage band pop punk sound than Lemonade Mouth did. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I think what you're saying about lemonade mouth being this sort of like entity that, that represents, uh, defiance is, is spot on. There's so many layers to it that it stops being relatable. It seems like it's like, okay, you've got like kids that are in a school where the principal cares more about sports than they care about the arts. Like when they go to the detention room, it's like in the basement of the school where all of the arts classes are held. It's like there's a news class newspaper, a band room, like a choir or something. They're all down there. And like all the sports is like up top, which is like, I think something that you can definitely feel if you're like a high school kid in the arts, but it's never really like to that level where like they're straight up just like putting people in the basement. If you don't play sports, like sports isn't a class, (laughs) it's, um, but so like them being a band is like in defiance of this idea that like sports is more important than, than the arts. Um, each one of these kids has like a home life, um, yep. that is, that is touched on and, and all of them have different levels of like, uh, problems with their parents. And so each one has a different reason why performing in this rock band is like defying their parents. You also have the, the external conflict with the other band, the mudslide crush, uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of like, a just a general, like, we're sort of defying what people think about a band actually is like, we can be like ragtag random people. Uh, you know, we don't have to have a shtick. Uh, we don't have to be, uh, violent or angsty. We can just sort of like vibe out a little bit. They also, um, get arrested, uh, at one point in the movie, there's a, oh. So the concept is that like there's this lemonade machine by the detention room uh, and the lemonade machine comes to represent like uh, anti-commercialization of things. It's like the underground 
drink of the school or something. <laughs> and so when they say they're going to re- remove the lemonade machine, it's like symbolic of the school again, like favoring profits over what's actually good. Sure. Uh, and so by the way, the lemonade cans do look like buzz balls. Uh, we shouted sh- <laughs> out buzz balls in the first episode, but they look a lot like that. And so like the dudes come to remove the lemonade machine and Haley Kyoko's like, Nope, we're not going to let you do that. And then they like assault the dudes and then they get yeah. arrested and they all go to jail. Oh, man. Uh, so like there's that element of defiance in it as well. Uh, shout out to Haley Kyoko, by the way, uh, congrats on the relationship with Becca Tilly. If there's one thing, that I love more than Disney is um, Bachelor Nation and the Bachelor franchise. So um, <laughs> I was very happy to see that couple get together publicly. Finally, I like the lemonade mouth name. Actually, like I, I think it's a genuinely like good idea for a band name based on what's in the movie. Mm. Uh, so like the the machine is right outside the detention room. So like all the characters drink the lemonade and they make this like face. They all have like a different kind of like face that they make when they take a sip of lemonade, just like maybe we all do when we drink lemonade might be sour, might be sweet. Um, Uh So they make this like lemonade mouth. Um, And then the mudslide crush guy from the rival band, Haley Kyoko spits out lemonade at him and he calls her lemonade mouth. Right. Uh, so it's like, it's like, uh, it's like an inside kind of reference to a thing that has to do with the creation of the band. It's like a, a reference to a name that someone tried to use as like a derogatory name for them. Um, and it's also like a reference to like this, this drink that is being replaced by a different drink. Uh, a drink that's being slept on just like the band itself, maybe. So I do, I do like genuinely like the name lemonade mouth and we can put that entire name reference into sports terms as well, because it's how the Oakland a athletics got their elephant mascot was that they were called the white elephant of the league. Like the, the team that people knew were there but never wanted to really acknowledge like didn't want to give the time of day in fact i believe it was the um the new york giants owner that called them that and while the a's were in philadelphia and so the owner charlie finley at the time was like okay well that's now we're gonna wear a white elephant on our jerseys and we're the, the philadelphia a's and that's why to this day that the a's mascot is stomper the elephant he's not a white elephant but he's an elephant because the A's took that insult and owned it and used it as this like moment of empowerment. And they went on this run of success after that. Um, and they're the, they're the OG lemonade mouths. The Oakland athletics are, uh, I, I will also say that the Pittsburgh baseball team once, uh, lured away a player from another team in sort of a, a sketchy way. And they were, they were called pirates by the other teams in the league and hence the Pittsburgh pirates. Um, baseball, baseball, baseball. <laughs> big baseball guys. <laughs> um, lem- anything else on lemonade mouth? Uh, yeah, the, the Madison square garden, it definitely sort of tips there. They, it goes from like, Oh yeah, this feels like pretty realistic, right? Into like, all right, this is, this is sort of like a caricature of like a, 
high school band not that it wasn't already in the way right. that they do that like weird uh i like that you called it a trash in the camp uh situation <laughs> um yeah raymond i i hate to do it but i am gonna go with pink slip on this one uh i i think lemonade mouth there's some really good stuff in here but it just hits diminishing marginal returns for me i think mm. um so so i'm gonna have to agree with kyle and move pink slip on what well, reaction um, very sad, heartbroken. Um, I feel, I feel like this is like a little bit of just like the society saying the losers are gonna lose, right? I mean, <laughs> these are like the, <laughs> the underdogs. The underdogs will never truly win. I think that's what they're trying to say here, guys. The losers are gonna lose. Those uh, goddamn losers. <laughs> I just, like eliminate mouth. That's gay rights. Like that is a moment in history. Like. When that came out, like you knew that one's coded, that one's coded. They wish they could be mm. gay, but like you know, like it was like saying it without having to say it. So there was sure. like, just make them like trauma instead, like right. put it that way, you know. But just the music from them, like I don't know, it just hits a lot harder for me. I understand. You- I understand that like Pink Slip was a moment. Like let's be real. Yeah, yeah. But Lemonade Mouth, like I, Kyle. I mean, it's not that cringe. I recommend you watch it because the pieces in between of the actual character depth, like. Yeah, it's pretty good. Shit. Like Disney talked about some things that they never really talked about. Yeah, like broken families and cultural, like a uh, like uh, suffocating fathers and shit like that. You know, but like it was really interesting to see all that come together. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it makes me sad, but you know, it's not going to make me stream them less. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that any of the movie is cringe. What's cringe for me is the song "Breakthrough" and how they portray it at the very end of the film. Yeah, that was like very, very low budget. You could tell they were like, "We're like, one more we time. have the, we have Madison Square Garden still on the shot list. How My are we going to pull that together? Yeah, Party City right now. Get some <laughs> streamers, the big screens. That's all we need." <laughs> All right, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket. We've got number two, Scat Cat and the Alley Cats versus number seven, Dorothea Williams Quartet from Soul. How's it going? Uh, this, is the, this is the jazz bracket. Jazz and I, Kyle, you did, a, you did a great job of breaking down the Alley Cats on the last episode. There's really not a whole lot to break down. Uh, they're just kind of some cats that, that put together a little jam session, jam so damn hard that the floor falls out from underneath them uh, and they end up on the ground floor. Um, I guess the one thing we didn't really mention, I mean, you did, you did uh, kind of mention the final verse being a take me to church moment. Um, but it's also, uh, it's also kind of the moment that Duchess and Thomas O'Malley kind of start getting get, vibing with each other a little bit. Yeah. You know, so this is, this is, some, yeah, mm-hmm. this is, this is, this is, Kitten making music that the, the scat <laughs> cat and then the alley cats got going on here. Um, Dorothea Williams quartet. We didn't talk a whole lot about them on the, on the last episode, just cause we kind of axed the three caballeros pretty early. Um, but if y'all don't really remember who the Dorothea Williams quartet is, uh, Joe Gardner, the lead in soul is a middle school band teacher. Yep. Uh, but he dude absolutely shreds on shreds. the piano, uh, ends up running into a former student of his, uh, who is in the Dorothea Williams quartet, Dorothea Williams, a well-known jazz musician in the jazz circle. And so 
Joe Gardner gets like a little impromptu audition. Uh, he gets invited to like an afternoon jam session. Uh, he goes in there to the quartet. He sees Dorothea. He starts fangirling over her. Uh, they start playing. Joe has no idea what he's doing. Um, and he ends up sort of like improvising on the keys a little bit, which is, uh, it's like a big part of jazz culture, like improvisational jazz. And so they are kind of testing Joe's skills by putting him through this sort of audition. Uh, and dude is just so into it that he ends up going into another dimension oh, yeah. uh, on the keyboard and just, she just shreds a, a ridiculous solo. Dorothea ends up saying, Joe Gardner, where have you been? Uh, and then tells him to buy a suit and to be at the be back at like nine o'clock for a show. Uh, hijinks ensue. It looks like he might not make it back uh, for the show, but eventually he does make it back for the show. And uh, it's like there's just like a legit performance that goes on. They're all in, in like full swing. There's a packed house in the jazz club. Uh, it's a it's a quartet. So there's four pieces. You got Dorothea on the saxophone, Joe on the piano. You've got Joe's former student. Don't know his name on the drums. Curly. And then and then someone on the like a uh, standing bass. Mio. <laughs> Mio. Uh, and they're 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 phenomenal. And so like so good. Not only is it like good jazz music, but the way that the sequence is edited and and composed is very it, it looks like it pays tribute to like the visceral aspect of jazz and performing jazz or just like performing in general like there's a lot of sweat on all of the performance performers by the end of the night uh there's a lot of you know lighting and and kind of like haziness in the jazz club you've got uh, shine coming off of the saxophone it's this this is very kind of intimate feeling performance um that happens um and it just makes it feel so so realistic even though this is you know, a, a 3d rendering. So cool. Now we previously discussed the soul soundtrack on the most beautiful Pixar score or best Pixar score bracket or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, just in general, a great, great jazz, great jazz goes without saying, um, they get a standing ovation. Oh yeah. At the end of the performance, the whole club is on their feet. Uh, round of applause for new guy Joe Gardner in his very first show. Uh, just, just awesome to see. So, like, on the one hand, you have Scat Cat and Alley Cats presenting jazz and presenting music as this thing that it's like a communal... The performance itself is like a communal experience, you know? Yep. And, like we're just, we're just people that are together and we'll just do whatever we want. We're just going to vibe out for a while. Um, and then you've got the Dorothea Williams quartet that frames jazz as this, this performance that is, um, exciting and fast and intense and physically demanding. Uh, and like both of these depictions I think are honest and, and accurate in a way. I think the audience aspect of the Dorothea Williams quartet scene is what puts them over the top for me. I had kind of referenced in the last episode that the alley cats kind of just being like a jam session type group from what we see. Uh, makes them feel a little bit less like a legitimate musical act. 
Uh, so the fact that the Dorothea Williams quartet music seems to reach people in a much more powerful way, I think makes them the better, the better on-screen act. Yeah. When it comes to two jazz performances and two jazz acts, the Dorothea Williams quartet is going to be better than the scat cat and the alley cats. If by nothing else, the fact that there's no racist depictions in Dorothea Williams quartet, right? Uh, we let scat cat kind of get by just by vibes of that song alone last time. But now they have to stand up to some sort of act that is similar to them in Dorothea Williams. And I'll talk about my feelings about Dorothea Williams next round because I don't want to sit on it for too long. But we also got to call out like the performers of the characters in this. So Dorothea Williams is performed by Angela Bassett, who is obviously like Queen Angela, but she's not a jazz musician. So they brought in Tia Fuller, who is a black saxophonist, composer, and educator, who's a member of Beyonce's all-female band that tours, which is incredible. She's also a professor at the Berklee College of Music, which is the highest kind of school for musicians in the land. Uh, and she's the one that plays the saxophone for Dorothea Williams's character, which is incredible. And then she's also in some of the jazzy score numbers that are in the rest of the film. Questlove is Curly, both voice and mm. playing the drums on all of the, the parts. Questlove, of course, from the roots, like incredible. And then Joe Gardner performed by Jamie Foxx, who is, we all know, uh, like a singer at heart, but doesn't necessarily know how to play piano, is played by John Patiste, who is this like right. incredible jazz performer who also just won uh, the Grammy for Album of the Year yeah. this year for his like pop album, which is pretty good too. But wanted to call out those performers. Like they brought in some world-class people to perform for this jazz quartet. And something tells me that they did all of this live. Like John Batiste wouldn't do this as like a everyone kind of record your part and we'll track it over. Like you got to perform jazz live. And I have a feeling that's what happened here. So I think that's really incredible. But yep, Dorothea Williams is going to move on. Raymond, uh, any issues with that or any thoughts about Dorothea Williams while we're sitting here? Uh, no, it's a very good choice to move on. I think it's perfect. I think that they deserve it the most. I yeah. think it was more moving than the other performance, even if it was <laughs> very fun. But yeah. Um, also, you can't have the stereotypical like Asian no. cat playing piano with chopsticks. So that's also goes into them going down. We All let right. racism fly the first time, but not. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Racism only flies one time. And they, they get, there's a one strike policy with everybody them. gets one. Everyone gets one. And they <laughs> cash theirs in in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> All those nasty animators back in the day. Oh, that was oh, so sick. Oh, oh was boy. So sick. I'd, rather oh. Than, I'd rather than be perverted. I would rather than draw some <laughs> draw some sex. <laughs> hey, they already tried that, and that was even too <laughs> far for them. If you look at how Fantasia was made, there was an entire entire oh. perverted scene that they had to cut back on because of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe not that, but how racist can we make this jazz playing cat? Let's focus on that one for us, huh? Take a struggle here. Yeah, for real. All right. Let's move on to what I consider probably the most Kyle matchup of the Mouse Madness history. 
Okay. It's the number three power line versus the number six four town. Now, I'm going to start with four town. When I left Turning Red, and Raymond, I don't know if you know this because um, it was we talked about it on a previous episode, but I got to see Turning Red in theaters, and so. My experience of Four Town and experience of this movie was much different than most people's where they were watching it in their living room and they're watching this boy band on their TV. I was in a theater at a concert for Four Town. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was experiencing Four Town in the dark loud as, you know, these these producers wanted it to be shown. Four Town is this group of five dudes and you're like, haha, that's funny. Pixar being stupid. But it was in reality, um, Domi Shi, who is the, the director of this, was like, we're calling out that this band can be called Four Town, but this is a Chinese-centric film. And in our culture, four is bad luck. So you need to have five. So it's kind of this like slight nod to the culture that this movie is kind of founded on, even though the the group is called Four Town. So there's five dudes. Aaron T, he's the white guy. Uh, he has a ring on his finger. He's wearing a, a backwards hat. And that's Phineas, right? That's Phineas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so great point. Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas wrote the music for Four Town. Four Town is Billie Eilish and Phineas. This is, and they, they just knew how to embody that like 2000s boy band group pop kind of sound. And they nailed it. And you can watch the like behind the scenes of this film and they'll talk about it, about how they channeled their inner like over exaggeration of feelings. And that's a lot of what these these songs are. Um, in my research, I found out that Four Town has a website. Uh, and it is called, I think it's just called fourtown.org or fourtown.com. So they have a band website. So if you if you've ever been a fan of a band before 2010, these bands used to have these like absurd websites <laughs> where you could go and it was more of like a a fan community as opposed to maybe like where you see their tour and where you see their concerts like you do today. Four Town right now has a website that you can go to and they have the bios of their members. Their songs are playing as a little widget in the top right, as if this is like MySpace. It's incredible. So I'm here. I'm I'm looking at these guys' names. I'm reading their bio. So let me introduce you to Four Town. Aaron T, the white dude. He has brown hair, backwards hat. He has a ring on his pointer f- finger. He's described as uh, acrobatic, fast talking, and a natural comedian. They call him T because there's another Aaron in this group. Is always there to break the tension when life on the road gets tense. So conflict within the group. We know that because Aaron T is there to to ease the tension that this group might feel as they're going from venue to venue. Next member, Aaron Z. He's the black dude with the short like brown dreads. He wears earrings. He has a, a headband to keep his dreads out of his eyes, but he also wears the wrist like sweatbands. That's Aaron Z. He's described as stoic, a little shy, uh, he's an athlete. He's the athlete of Four Town and the strongest dancer. He also coordinates and choreographs a lot, a lot of their dance moves. So that's Aaron Z. Robert. Robert is the one that most of the characters in this film are in love with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the darker black dude with the short hair, with the design cut in like right over his right eye, kind of like Drake. Uh, and he also has a line shaved into his eyebrow. 
Described as originally from Toronto, Robert is the leader of Four Town. And that's for a reason. He can sing, he can dance, and he will eventually have a successful solo career. But until then, he's content to jam on the tour bus with his four best friends. So we already have the JT of the group here who knows what they are capable of, but they're going to ride this ride until it's time to go. Next member, Tae Young. He's the, the Asian member of this group. And I'm sorry to generalize, but we just don't know. He's the Asian member of the group. He has like a bleached blonde hair and painted fingernails. He's the youngest member of Fort Town, a lover of animals. Tae Young is dedicated to wildlife rehab- re- rehabilitation and has personally fostered injured doves between tours. So this is our heartthrob, Tae Young, the youngest that cares about animals and, and nurses them back to health. And then our fifth member is Jesse. Jesse is the white guy. He's the blonde hair, blue eyed, the oldest member, which is, <laughs> which is funny that, that that's that. Oldest member, Jesse was in art school pursuing a degree in ceramics before the band took off. When fame starts getting to his head, throwing clay on his potter's wheel and spending time with his two kids brings him back down to earth. Oh, wow. Did not know there was a dad there. Jesse is daddy Jesse. Whoa. In four <laughs> wow. The Kevin Jonas. So, Chris and Raymond, <laughs> which member of Four Town are you? I think we already know which one I am. You're Jesse, huh? Who are you two kids? No, bro. I'm Aaron T because I have have a number of photos of me as a child wearing a baseball cap snapback backwards with overalls. I mean, that was like if I when I was a kid and if I had to like in my head draw a picture of like what does a cool kid look like i'd be like yeah. he's he's definitely rocking overalls yeah. and he definitely has a snapback on and it's backwards <laughs> and he's like super athletic and and cool and he's got brown hair like me. <laughs> athletic and cool got yeah <laughs> coolest kid ever yeah <laughs> raymond who, who would you think that you are out of four town here i'm gonna have to say robert i really yeah am. Yeah, I feel like I, I relate to him in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like most talented around, like the leader of the group, whatever group that is. Mm-hmm. Ready to out. leave when you need to. And I've shaved a lot into my eyebrows many times. <laughs> yeah, that, really is have. that is true. I think that I'm probably closer to an, to an Aaron Z. The one hmm. that's described as a little bit more shy and stoic, but still an athlete. I, I, I don't think that I'm as... Uh, extroverted as I maybe portray myself as on this podcast. I talk a lot about how I don't like interactions with strangers. They make me really anxious. And I think that Aaron Z probably relates a lot to that. So I think I'm an Aaron Z type. Sure, uh, sure. I like that. I like that we all have, uh, we have different, different four town people. So anyways, they have three songs that we definitely know of. Actually, no, sorry. They have, they have three songs that we've heard, but they have seven songs for sure. So three songs that we heard is Nobody Like You, You Know What's Up, and One True Love. All of these are performed at some point in the film, whether it's in the concert towards the end of the film, whether it's um, Nobody Like You, which is what um, uh, May's team like sings, her, her little crew sings during most of the film. You Know What's Up is the song that happens as the the montage of them making money off of the Red Panda's fame. So 
we hear those songs in different iterations throughout the film. But then when that commercial comes on, uh, when May's parents are sitting on the couch and it's about the tour, they're naming off like a, like a track list, almost like it is like, you know, here are 70 slow songs on three CDs. Oh. And it's, you know, that's what they did with this. So Girl, I Love Your Jeans, the remix is one of them. Therefore you, letter U, number four, girl. Therefore you, girl. Yeah. Girl, it's got to be you, letter U. And then you and me, you, letter U, and me. So those are their other songs. We don't, we haven't heard them, but they exist in the canon of Four Town. We know that Four Town is extremely popular. I would argue on the level of One Direction just by, based on how much this teen tween population loves them the fact that we know they're on this like international stadium tour we know it's international because uh what's her face little crazy girl thinks that they (laughs) say toronto but it's really toledo yeah and she doesn't know where toledo is so international america to to canada they're on an entire stadium tour you can't sell out Rogers. What is it? Not Rogers Center. Rogers Center. Yeah. Don't sell out yep. Rogers Center without being one of the most popular acts in the world. No. And their music hits, baby. I I don't. I wouldn't say that it's on my like morning playlist, but when that comes on, I'm not skipping. Tell you that much. Uh, I think that they embody that kind of exaggerated early 2000s boy band group. They nailed the sound. Billie Eilish did a fantastic job with this and Phineas as well. Nailed the sound of each song, the lyrics as well. I've never met nobody like you. Had friends and I've had buddies. It's true. (laughs) A, but they don't hurt my tummy the way you do. (laughs) I've never met nobody like you. Into the synthesized piano breakdown. Mm -hmm. It's that absurd lyricism, the hyped pop boy, the group, their performances on stage that are over the top. They're, they're coming down from the heavens like angels. They use their voices to quite literally save Toronto. I love Fa- Four Town a lot. They're up against Powerline, who I also love a lot. But we get one performance out of Powerline. We know that he's also a very popular person with all of the merch that we see in the film, the cardboard cutouts that doesn't come to just anybody. And his extravagant stadium tour, we get to see at the end of the film as well. But I think that the star power and the notoriety lies with Four Town. I'm going with Four Town, baby, over Powerline. Oh, boy. Um Kyle, I like we shouted out Phineas, but we cannot proceed without shouting out the voice of Robert. Oh boy. I so I almost went through to talk about who voiced who, and then I got to Robert and I said, We better not speak that demon's name in this house. Um, just needs to be on the record that Robert is voiced by none other than Jordan Fisher. Who he has returned man? to Who this is podcast. This man? He continues to stay relevant uh, <laughs> within the Walt Disney Company. Um, and he lends. <laughs> it's like Mickey is locked in in his house. 
Um, and and Jordan Fisher is like in the penthouse suite laughing at everybody. Jordan Fisher has the keys. Jordan Fisher and uh, Emily Blunt are like neighbors <laughs> in the penthouse suite. The, the, the people that just, for some reason, Disney owes them a tremendous debt, apparently. Uh. Um, so uh, there are some things I do appreciate about Four Town. The way that Four Town is depicted as this like language within this group of friends is super cool to me. And this isn't something that necessarily has to be music. It can be anything. I mean, it can be Kyle, the way that you and me are friends and, and so much of our conversation is around Disney and, and we relate to the world via Disney yep. or we rate, we relate to each other via Disney. Yep. Um, and it's, it's kind of the, the positive side of fandom you know, that it it creates real human connections. And so I like the way that our main characters in Turning Red are bonded by their love of Fortown. And when one of them gets down, they can sing the song to each other. When one of them's in trouble, they can just reference something for town and it can make sense in the person's head that is receiving that, you know, the for town reference. Yeah. Um, Really cool. And like, there's there's four uh, of our leads and then there's like the the kid the little the little annoying kid who turns out to be a four townie too oh, and yeah. then so there's there's five kids for five members of the band and they're in this sold out arena and you get the sense that like they're not unique you know, right. like every single kid in there is in a friend group that has the exact same sort of dynamic going on where they all relate via this band. Uh, and that's really kind of cool and like honestly really wholesome to me. Uh, I, I really like that. These these entertainment entities can be outlets for people's energy, outlets for their creativity. Um, and and it's important, you know, like I, I think it's it can be very rude to dismiss someone's pop cultural preferences as being crass or as being, you know, you're too old for that or like whatever it is. Like if this is a way that someone is coping with the world or if this is the way that someone's choosing to express themselves as long as it's not hurting anybody, you know, we should, we should be cool with it. Um, yeah. and, and you know, this passion for four town, um, that our leads have is, uh, it represents that. And I think that's cool. The thing though, is that Powerline I feel like is the exact same thing, mm-hmm. uh, where you have four town being this kind of over the top depiction of a musical act that, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, they have these anime style movements and looks and everything is just a little bit extra. Like that's the style of turning red. So it makes sense. But Powerline feels a little bit more subdued, a little bit more realistic. Like, yeah, he's got the, uh, the, the triangular, uh, male upper body. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I wrote down, um, this is the ideal male body. You may not like it, but this is what peak performance looks like. Um, let's go ahead and put a picture of Powerline with that tweet. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's he's got the perfect combination of, of 
dance moves and and vocals uh, and and killer bods. So so I love that about uh, Powerline. But yeah, everyone loves Powerline too. Uh, yeah. uh, Four Town like is kind of made out to be this kid's fascination, and like there's a joke at the end of the movie where like the dad is dancing to the Powerline music like in secret, or uh, sorry, the Four Town music in secret. Um, but Powerline, I mean, same thing. There's a shot. When the Powerline concert in LA is about to begin, there's spotlights, there's helicopters, mm-hmm, there's cars mm-hmm. everywhere trying to get into the stadium. There's a car full of nuns trying <laughs> to get into the Powerline concert. I mean, this is the this is the effect of Powerline. Sure, so yeah. good that nuns love Powerline. <laughs> Uh, and like, that's, I think that's a, a small detail, but an important one when we're, when we're thinking about his power as a musician, uh, he, he's a cultural phenomenon and, and he has these watch parties, which we were just talking about Miley Cyrus and, and the, the concert movie that goes into movie theaters, like dude, power line getting like live watch parties. That's I don't know any artist like ever that has achieved that kind of fame where everyone is tuning into one concert that they're putting on unless right. it's a Super Bowl halftime show. Yep. Uh, Eye to Eye is really the one song that we see him perform like completely organically. Like, yeah, we hear um, stand out, but it's kind of like via Max. Um, and so the Eye to Eye sequence, I think, is is solid. Kyle, you mentioned kind of the the multi-dimensional aspect of the Powerline show, lighting, costumes, sets, music, um, very into it. I think Eye to Eye, like you said, also has is, is got a really good message behind it as well. It's not just one of those kind of crappy layup pop Disney songs they put in these movies. Like it's a real song. Like there was a lot of, I think thought and intention that went into it. So, so I really like it. Also love a good musical act that, that leans into some specific sort of genre, you know, like power line is the futuristic sci-fi guy and he wears a special costume. Um, and he's very, uh, like, um, Specific. He has like a very specific type of character that he performs on stage, which I think is a super cool. And I think music needs more of that. End of the day, I'm I'm going with Powerline. I think I think both of these acts have a little bit of everything. They're both very similar, but I think I like the um I don't know, the 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 more uh, subdued depiction of the artist than the than the over the topness of, of Fort Town. So sure. Raymond. After all of that, you're going to be breaking the tie here for a very tough matchup and a really important matchup too. Um, I'm going to go with Four Town. I'll start right there. I'm picking Four Town because I remember watching Turning Red and the little bully character. I think what, was it was a Tyler. I think I saw. Yeah, I think Tyler. I was just like, okay, is it just me or is this kid coded? I was just like, this must be like a queer character. And then he's at the concert and he goes full fangirl with all and then it's actually the moment where he stops being the antagonist and starts being like the bestie i loved it oh i loved it <laughs> i was laughing i was laughing so hard watching him like get those like crazy anime eyes with all the rest of the girls like it was so hilarious to me i just think that like um the impactfulness like really hit me i like that one a lot so four time biz all right four down four to the final four uh okay hopping back over to the other side who will go to the finals? It's number nine, Cheetah Girls versus number 13, P. 
pink slip. I'm going to go ahead and let you guys do your little Cheetah Girls story time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Um, the What feels like one of the quintessential moments that Raymond and I became as close as we did is that we used to enter these lip syncing competitions at our high school that were called air jams together as like a group. And our, our, the first one that we did was to the, what was it like? 2008 (laughs) smash hit gem sweaters from, uh, from YouTube. And, and we had a dance to it. We won first prize. So, okay, let me tell you. So, like, we were, so we got our, so we were in Goodwill and we found the gem sweaters. Then we were like, we must do the gem sweaters act. So then we went back to Goodwill. We we're like, we got to go back to the drawing board. Like, let's go to the Abbey Road sessions again. Like, let's figure out what <laughs> made this work, you know? And so we were in Goodwill and we found this, like, a bunch of random cheetah ensemble pieces, like a jacket, a scarf, a pair of pants. And so it was just natural. We landed on. Cheetah on Cheetah Girls. Yeah. So we we did a lip sync co- uh performance to uh Cheetah Girls Cheetah Sisters. I remember running those rehearsals like the goddamn Navy. Yep, yep. <laughs> Raymond Raymond the director. <laughs> Raymond the director is not someone you want to mess with. And no. he he had <laughs> us learning those dances and timing and and what do you know we won again. So no, uh we No we did not dude. Wait, what? No. Bro, this is the funniest part about the story, okay? We were so, so confident from the first act that when we went into the Cheetah Girls act, we were really expecting to win. We did not even place, my friend. We didn't even, like, make the top three. Amazing. We flopped so hard. Amazing. And we were all mortified never to perform again. Yeah, we had to disband the band after that one, I guess, huh? We we thought it was in the bag. We were, like, the the heavyweight champs dude walking in that Air Jam Stadium again. I think that I need to find that performance because I I know that it exists somewhere on the internet and I need to find it and post it into Jerry's gang on Patreon so that y'all can see this uh, Cheetah Girls, Cheetah Sisters performance. But uh, yeah, we we I know that song by heart because we Raymond made us run through it about 30 times just for us to not place in the performance. Just so, to fucking lose. <laughs> so, so that's our Cheetah Girls story. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just picturing the scene in Step Brothers where Adam Scott wins the talent show for lip syncing to Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> <laughs> we were backstage, like, just heartbroken immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Idiots. Um, so. Uh, I've broken down the Cheetah Girls as, as far as I think I could break them. Uh, I haven't really talked a lot about Pink Slip, though, so I would love to uh, get a little crack at them. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about Wango Tango real quick. Um, Wango Tango is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wango Tango is a music festival in Los Angeles. Uh, it's been performed at the Rose Bowl. It's been performed at Dodger Stadium. Uh, and I think it started in something like 1998, uh, freaky Friday came out in 2003. So I don't know that this performance like is supposed to be Wango Tango or like a audition to like get a spot at Wango Tango or something. Mm. But, uh, Wango Tango is a real thing. It's put on by kiss FM, which they do reference in freaky Friday. So I think there may be some sort of like, uh, partnership going on uh, there between Disney and them. They're at the house of blues. We know Disney's. Disney's got a a partnership with the House of Blues. I want to read for y'all the lineup 
at Wango Tango 2003. Oh, boy, please. The year that Lindsay Lohan uh, and Pink Slip would have been at Wango Tango. Kiss. <laughs> oh, my God. Solid. Solid, right? Sting. Okay. Oh, man. T- Santana. These are these are like legitimate acts. Okay, now, now let's get into our next tier here. Nelly, uh, Christina Aguilera. Yeah. Sugar Ray. <laughs> uh, little Tyrese. Whoa. Um, little Boomcat. Little Lisa Marie Presley. Uh, we got Michelle Branch, Jennifer Love Hewitt. We got what? J.C. Shazay. In parentheses with drum lines. <laughs> we've got we've got our favorite Disney Mania act bowling for soup. Yeah. We've got Paris Hilton. I'm not sure what she was doing there, but she's on the Wango Tango. She lineup. had a song. Stars are blind. Yeah. <laughs> you know the, stop, the guys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, my personal favorite that is on here, the winner of American Idol season two, Ruben Stuttered. Oh my gosh. Remember when Ruben Stuttered beat out Clay Aiken for American Idol and everyone was like, this is crazy. This is Uh a crime. Clay Uh Aiken has the voice of an angel. Uh Ruben Stuttered had a great voice as well, but... uh, Maniacs? The Claniacs. The mm-hmm. were were on one. That was probably the peak of Ruben Stuttered's success. Was the Wango Tango Music Festival in 2000? Oh yeah, I'm sure. And Pink Slip still ate his ass up. Like, <laughs> I didn't hear a single name on there that could stand next to Lindsay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I really like the way that you you have been describing Pink Slip, Kyle. It really felt like if it really really feels like high schoolers that sort of like. Yeah, like they're friends and like maybe they all picked up instruments and they just kind of like are doing it together. Uh, I really like that each of the the lead, the leading ladies kind of has their own like rock and roll, like subgenre style to them. Yes, yes. Um, Lindsay Lohan has kind of like the Avril Lavigne, like punk rock thing going on. Uh, Christina Vidal has this like a little bit folkier, grungier kind of thing yes, going. Yes. And then yeah. I can't remember what the third uh, woman's name Peg. is, but Peg has like the Ramones thing or like yeah. a White Stripes thing going. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, it's just like super realistic. You know, it's like I'm going to emulate my favorite rock star uh, on stage, which is so high school, you know, like I want to learn to play guitar because Jimmy Page plays guitar. And so if I was going to be a rock star, I would do exactly what Jimmy Page does. Yeah. <laughs> Take me away, bro. <laughs> Don't want to grow up. I want to get out. Uh, That's such a banger. Poetry. I Don't want to grow up. I want to get. I thought growing up is getting out. So it's like, do you not want to grow up or do you want to get out? Like, which well, one is it? Remember Freaky Friday, the whole thing that especially... Lindsay Lohan's character when she gets put into Jamie Lee Curtis's body is that she doesn't want to do all of this adult stuff. Yeah. She she doesn't want to grow up into adulthood with adult responsibilities. She wants to to get out 
and experience life while she's still this like young free person. And I think that's what the song is saying. It's real. Got it. Got it. Um, the song was <laughs> written by not one, not two, not three, but oh. six different people. What? To think that it took that many humans to write Take Me Away uh, is astonishing to me. Yeah. It's not a great song. And so I don't really know. There's a lot of credits for that song. Um, It's like that song. What's the, what's the, um, (laughs) did it on them by Nicki Minaj had like 15 songwriters or something. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Took like 10 people to come up with that alone. Uh, I, I think I like the other song, the wedding song ultimate a little bit better than take me away. Okay. Um, I think it's a little bit more catchy. Uh, it's kind of about like a person maybe being in love or something, I guess, appropriate for, for a wedding. Uh, it is, it is quite poppy. It's not pop punk, Kyle. It's not, definitely not, not even close. It's just pop. I'm going with pink slip on this one. I'm riding pink slip to the finals. I did not think that they would be getting this far for me in this bracket, but uh, I, I like their relatability. Uh, they seem like an achievable type of musical act, which I think is important for Disney. I like the way that Freaky Friday is not just a movie about musicians and the forming of a band and the greatest band of all time. And we're going to go on a world tour and be the, the success story. Like it's just some real people who like their biggest gig is like playing at their mom's wedding or, you mm-hmm. know, or like playing at the house of blues. That's, that is, uh, such a more realistic way to think about music, the power of music, who gets to play music, what it means to people. Um, so I'm going with pink, fl- pink, pink flip, I'm going with pink slip. Pink flip's good too. though. <laughs> you know why take me away has so many credits to it? Hmm. It's because that song wasn't written for the movie. That song is a cover by a band that already performed that song. It's not a pink slip original. So I read an article before this that was called Freaky Friday Band Pink Slip Song Take Me Away wasn't originally from the movie. It was released before the movie and it was performed by a band called Lash. And if you listen to it, it it's the same exact song. Same exact song. Australian band called Lash. Uh, they did take me away, and that actually came out before Freaky Friday. So this is actually a cover of hmm. "Take Me Away," which is never really indicated. It's kind of just credited to Pink Slip throughout this entire thing. But that's why it has so many people on it because I think that like the the guitar solo is different in the Freaky Friday Got version, it. which requires another songwriter to add to the credit list. Yada yada yada. Right. So the best. Disney on screen act is Cheetah Girls. They have that that Disney flair. They flirt a little bit with quote unquote more, more edginess, especially in their first film when it comes to their like hip hop influences and what their choreography and how how they dress and what they're doing and, and their family dynamics and all of their characters having these different backstories and their different motivations. Um we at least get more out of the Cheetah Girls as a band than we do out of Pink Slip as a band. Pink Slip as a band performs very well. They obviously, now we know, perform some covers. 
what we think is an original song towards the end. But the Cheetah Girls feel like the better Disney on-screen musical act because of their journey, because we know all of them, because of their catalog, unfortunately, is just a lot deeper than Pink Slips. I'm going to go with them. Raymond, you're breaking a tie. I think you all know what I'm about to say. <laughs> Cheetah Girls for sure. Cheetah Girls all the way. Um, let me just ask a quick question. Maybe some of the audience might know this, but have you guys ever listened to Spectacular by Keely Williams? You showed me that in high school. And I haven't listened to it since. And you probably should say that way unless you want something very awful. But like, it is basically like Keely Williams of Cheetah Girls needed to break out and be like an adult pop star. And she came out with a song called Spectacular and it is gutter nasty. <laughs> it is like the worst Nikki bars like combined into one song. Like it is filthy, filthy, filthy. And it was so dirty that like they didn't even like break her into the adult like musician world. They just broke her into like nothingness. Like everyone was so turned off by it. Yeah. But it's iconic nonetheless. So cheer girls. Yeah. <laughs> still, still iconic. You can be bad iconic. It's how Rebecca Black got her start and now she's like this icon, right? So here we are. Yep. yep. All right. Moving on to this last final four matchup. It's the number seven Dorothea Williams Quartet versus number six for town. I said I was going to say more about the quartet, but I already said it. I, I introduced the characters that or the people that performed for the characters and, and their notoriety in the music landscape. And I think that's very important and extremely authentic. Not to say that Four Town doesn't have that. Four Town has bona fide pop singers performing as pop singers, mm-hmm. as exemplified by Chris bringing up that Jordan Fisher has weaseled his way back into this podcast by performing as Robert. They are, they're great. They're great performers and they're great pop performers. So this one's really tough because there's the cheese, Kyle. I introduced this earlier. The cheese, Kyle, loves Four Town. Four Town is cheesy goodness dorothea williams is like musical greatness like it's just such good jazz music by great jazz performers by great musicians so what one do i want to lean towards in this both are authentic for their films both both are authentic for their time frames i think that what i'm going to go with though is the quartet And I'm going to go that way because I think that there's an element to jazz that they made extremely believable, which is the improvisation. And we get Joe Gardner getting into the zone. He's levitating off of the floor. He is floating away into a world of his own as he's kind of doing this improv piano that I feel is extremely authentic, not only to to jazz, but to that quartet. That's what Dorothea wanted. She wanted somebody to get into the zone and be able to take their music to the next level. That's why after he gets out of the zone, she hires him, right? Jazz is about improv. Jazz is about feeling. Jazz is about putting your own life into the melody, bringing it back to the group, and then splitting off again and, and, and supporting that person that is improving. Fortown does a great job at being a fantastic pop group in my mind with great pop music. Uh, I'm not going to go to a sold out stadium to see a pop performance, but I'm going to go to a, a small jazz club to watch some live music by performers who are improving everything. 
so I, I have to go with the, this is a, another Kyle matchup. So I can, I'm going to bias my way through it. I'm going to go with the quartet number seven to the finals. Yeah. I think, I think these two acts do two different things really well. On the one hand, you have four town that I guess they don't do it, but the movie depicts the experience of consuming their material in a really realistic way. Uh, so like, so like just in general, music is a very personal thing, right? Like both as a artist and creating music and as a listener and consuming music Fort town does a really good job or turning red does a really good job depicting the consumption of music in a personal way. Yeah. Soul does a really good job depicting the creation of music in a really personal way. Uh, but we're not talking about like best depiction of Disney on screen musical act viewership or listen. Like we're, we're talking about the musical act itself. And so knowing how personal the music is coming from Joe um, and how from the heart that Dorothea Williams quartet experience is makes it the better musical act for me. So I'm agreeing with you in sending the seven seed to the finals. Raymond, are you good with us sending four town home? Yeah, I think I'm okay with it. I'm thinking about uh, like emotion behind it. And that's what these final choices usually come down to. You know? Cool. All right. Well, well, it's the final matchup. Y'all. <laughs> we finally made it. Oh my goodness. We've made it. It's the number nine seed cheetah girls from all of the cheetah girls things versus the number seven seed the Dorothea Williams quartet from soul. Um, I was really hoping not hoping, but when I saw these 16 seeds, I said unequivocally, no argument. The Dorothea Williams quartet is the best musical act on this bracket, removing Disney on screen from the equation, like just musical act. Like if you're just listening to the music, the Dorothea Williams quartet, no one really even comes close. Like you're going to tell me pink slip is of the same like musical caliber as this jazz quartet. You even going to tell me that like for the music of four town is of the same quality. I mean, I don't like, I don't mind people favoring one over the other, but like you have to objectively be able to step back and say objectively when you compare the Dorothea Williams quartet jazz compositions with the country bears, uh, whatever it is that they're performing, like one is better than the other, right? Just looking at its musical complexity and everything like that. The one advantage Cheetah Girls has over the Dorothea Williams Quartet is the way that we explore all of these individual characters and what the music means to each of them individually. It could be an opportunity to escape something. It could be an opportunity to express themselves in a certain way. Uh, The Dorothea Williams Quartet is four people and we really only know about one of them and that's Joe Gardner given it's really powerful and we know a lot about Joe and we know exactly how much this opportunity means for him. And it, we feel so close to it um, when he's on that stage and when he's in that zone, it's almost like we're experiencing those same feelings that he is. 
and so the question to me becomes, you know, quality over quantity. Mm. Cheetah girls, it, there's just so much cheetah girls, right? Like we get to know these women so well over the course of all of these movies and things. Um, and we really only get a few seconds with the Dorothea Williams Quartet. So is that enough for them to be crowned the winner of the bracket? Uh, for me, I think that it is. I think Cheetah Girls is, is a really fun project. I think it's an important project. I think the quality of the Dorothea Williams Quartet experience uh, is so much higher. Um, just as an objective music fan and as like a Disney, as like a Disney fan too, watching these on screen, uh, as like a, as like a 30 year old man, you know, I did I don't have the same cheetah girls bias that you all have. Didn't have it with me as a child. Uh, so I can only really approach it with the lens of being an adult. And when I'm looking at these two side by side, cheetah girls definitely has a lot of inspirational components to them when it comes to like identity and being yourself. But the Dorothea Williams Quartet and the way that Joe is able to perform in the quartet really hits home for me, just as someone who is like getting older and, you know, like I'm having to ask myself similar questions like career versus passion and, uh, you know, what is the, what is the purpose of my own life? What is my legacy, etc. The experience that we get in these Dorothea Williams sequences hits all of those things. Uh, so I have the seven seed winning. I have the nine seed winning and I have the nine seed winning because I think that a big part of Disney, especially now is trying to tell stories that relates to people specifically, but also in mass and soul does a super good job of that. Like telling a black story in a way that you're telling the people's story. But I think the Cheetah Girls finally gave folks a representation of themselves on screen in a way that was extremely talented. Yes, three movies is probably excessive for this group, but it also lends a hand to how actually popular they were. You think about even like High School Musical, right? Which is kind of a musical act that didn't make it onto this bracket, but like they had three movies too. Right. And like, sure. And we can all call them cheesy and silly and whatever, but like they had three movies for a reason. So did the cheetah girls. And I, I feel like they embody that kind of Disney spirit where every song that they perform has some sort of meaning, some sort of plot meaning, and then also some sort of, out of context meeting. You can listen to the Cheetah Girls whether you want to or not and have a, a real world application to their lyrics. So I think that Cheetah Girls embody the better Disney on-screen musical act in this finals, which means that Raymond is crowning the winner here. Yeah. Um, I've been pretty biased towards Cheetah Girls this whole time. I'm going to have to continue that, honestly. I think that uh, Cheetah Girls is the best in-movie universe band that we've had from Disney. I think that their catalog of hits speaks for itself. The peak behind the music between picking the outfits, doing the choreography, like all that all those movies show was always really engaging. And I think it was a cool atmosphere to teach you about the industry. Um, I just love it. I love the performances. I love the music. I think they're all really talented. Even if they're not in character, all of them have like very good skills. 
Um, there's few things that will affect me as much as the finale of Judy Girls 2. And that's the sequel. <laughs> that was the second one in the movie, you know? So, like, that's a big deal, too. The fact that 2 is probably stronger than 1 in a lot of ways. Hmm. Yeah. All Judy right. <laughs> We did it. We didn't think it would be this way, but it happened. We have found our best Disney on-screen musical act, and it's the number nine seed Cheetah Girls. And as we do at the end of every bracket, we're going to clap it out. That was a lot of fun. I didn't, I did not expect us to have so much to say about these fake musical acts. (laughs) And yet here we are doing some in-depth analysis about each and every one of these performers, these bands, and that, I mean, this was, this was a ton of fun. Yeah. I mean, like I said, music's powerful and it's something that we all experience in different ways. So, um, interesting to kind of explore all the ways Disney portrays it for all of us to consume. Yeah. Uh, Raymond, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We expected a little bit more work for you this time around. Didn't happen until the very end and you were able to crown the winner. So I appreciate you hanging in there with us and providing your perspective and talking about these these fake acts for a few hours. Yes. Thank you so much for reminding me, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone, you know how to reach us. Do you have an issue with uh, the Cheetah Girls being crowned the winner of this bracket? Are you super on board with it? Are you a big Cheetah fan yourself? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness and join us at the $5 level by becoming a member of Jerry's gang. We'd love to have you there. It's a ton of fun. Folks, until next time, until the next bracket, I will leave you with a little wisdom from the Cheetah Girls. Our spots are different, different colors. We make each other stronger. That ain't never gonna change. We're Cheetah Girls, Cheetah Sisters.